family life can be both rewarding and frustrating. That is why we are here to strengthen families with quality information and support to meet the many challenges they face. Welcome to In Support of Families. Parents all over the world have been through the same trials that you are facing. Your host, Emma Lou Penrod, is here to help with valuable parenting tips for a happy, orderly home. Hello and welcome to our series on coaches who specialize in supporting women. And I'm really excited today to be able to talk to Ann Anderson. She is a transformational life coach and a best-selling author of her book, Butterfly Uprising. She also has a really compelling story. Anne, welcome. Thank you so much, Emmalou. I really appreciate you having me on your show today. I'm so excited. I know we've been trying to do this for a minute. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored. And would you be willing to share your story? I, I'm so impressed with the obstacles you have overcome, the example you are of persevering. Thank you so much. Sure, I would love to. Um, as you know, I've had a very tumultuous uh, childhood, rather no childhood. I had to be a mother to my mother, a wife to my stepfather, mother to my younger siblings. I'm the oldest of seven children born in Houston, Texas, raised in Louisiana. And for years, I blamed myself for being raped. Um, in 1966, I was molested by my stepfather uh, at age 10 years old until I was 16. Uh, it was like, you know, all of a sudden the lights were turned off and I just became a shell of the once vibrant, happy, full of life little girl that I was uh, before that. And then living a life in fear, feeling ashamed and feeling a lot of guilt and hopelessness. Um, but, and a lot of times uh, for the most part feeling very suicidal, uh, not wanting to live, just very uh, disconnected. Uh, in my 10 year old mind though, the only thing that I could think of was uh, taking a handful of pills or something like that or using a knife. But Instead, I end up becoming at 18, uh, becoming a flaming uh, drug addict, a uh, functional drug addict. And I basically used drugs as an emotional blanket. That was my numbing device. At age 27, I found myself divorced, a single parent. Uh, in 1988, I met who I thought was the man of my dreams. Uh, he was 6'4", 250 pounds, looked like he stepped out of a GQ magazine. I was 5'2", 127 pounds at, the, at that time. And, you know, instead he, uh, like I said, he ended up being my worst nightmare. It was the best of times and the worst of times for me at the same time. Uh, the saving grace at that time was the privilege I had of becoming, being a dancer for a local ballet company, uh, which was my life at the time. And um, yeah, so on this one particular day in my, Haste to get home, actually, I accidentally brought home the African skirt that I had borrowed to perform in uh, with me. And moments later, the guy who was the owner of the costume called to arrange to meet with me to get his skirt back. And my boyfriend at the time overheard that conversation. And before I could get off the phone good, he threw his beer can and hit me upside the head with it and 
commenced to beating me until I was unrecognizable. Stopping only once just to run upstairs and grab my gun to come back and put it to my head. Um, threatening to kill me and dump me in a lake where no one would ever be able to find my body. And, you know, so, <laughs> and, the, and the reason that he did it was just because I had the boldness to continue to participate in doing something that I loved and was doing before we met. So no one knew that domestic violence was my life during that time. I used to be uh, one of those women judging, saying that I would never let a man put his hand on me. And I was the one who jumped in front of my stepfather to protect my mother when I thought he was about to hit her when I was 10 years old. But here I am, I find myself um, with his hands around my neck, choking me until I couldn't breathe. And um, all the thing that I could do, I saw my life flashing before my eyes. And I just prayed to God for him to save me this one last took his hands off me. And so I end up spending the next, um, I end up spending the next six months planning my escape from that situation. And which was the beginning of my life, it was, it was, was the beginning of resilience and self-transformation. Uh, that's when resilience and trans self-transformation became my story. And I realized that I had to become my own rescue. And so, you know, I tell that story, you know, because I realized too that so many people are suffering in silence like I did for so long and uh, feeling like you're on an island all by yourself. Uh, you know, no one is reaching out to you. No one hears you, no one sees you. And I want people to know that I see you, I hear you, I got you. And I wrote the book that I wrote and doing what I'm doing now as a transformational life coach because I wanted to provide a safe space, no judgment, um, you know, for people to be able to share um, their deepest pains, you know, whatever their story might be, uh, and let them know that, you know, someone understands, loves them, and, um, you know, and, and it's a safe place, like I said, no judgment. Um, and so that's why I have created the, perform the platform that I have and then I'm using it to, to share with other women what I went through to become my own uh, rescue, to overcome the adversity, all of the adversity that I had to go through and to become the person that I am today. So 36 years later, fast forward 36 years later, you know, I am, like you said, a best-selling author, transformational life coach. I'm also a part of six other anthologies, presently working on my seventh one called When Grace Found Me. Uh, I'm also a TV producer at my TV show called Her Liberation, Conversations with Ann Anderson. Uh, and the tagline for the show is about um, wellness, health, and a better quality of life. So we have diverse conversations with a lot of different people uh, everything that would help uh, women, whoever my listening audience is, to have a better quality of life in every area of their lives. And I'm also a part of another TV show called What is Justice that's coming soon. So um, 
what I realized and what I've learned over the years is that everything that you want is on the other side of your comfort zone. I'm not saying that it's easy to operate in that space, but I am saying that it's worth it. And the only reason that I am where I am today and doing the things that I'm doing is because I made a decision to get out of my comfort zone. And so that's why I'm doing the things that I'm doing today. Scary. <laughs> yes, but it is so important. And you touched on something absolutely vital. Abuse victims, especially children, quite often blame themselves and feel like, you know, there's something wrong with me. I did something right. wrong. And even, even women will feel like it's their fault. So right, they, need, exactly. they need to know that they're not alone. There's a lot mm -hmm. of shame. I think a lot of people... There is. Yeah, are ashamed to admit that they're being mm -hmm. abused. Now, I my connection's not the best, and you broke up a little bit at the point you were describing the know. time when his hands were around your throat and you were praying, please save me one more time. But it, I'm sure it took courage to get out of that relationship. Oh, yes. Yes, it did. And, you know, back then it was, it was really crazy. And Malou, I had this, this crazy three times rule, you know, like the baseball players, three uh, strikes and you're out. That was crazy. I don't recommend that for anyone. Like I said, it was absolutely nuts. Okay. But um, this was the third time. So I wish I could say that that was the first time when he had his hands around my neck and put uh, my gun to my head. But that was actually the third time. And that's when and you decided been out. Let, what, exactly. It's, it's time I got to go. Yeah, but we all know, and I don't know if you've heard of, but I have heard of cases where it was the first time that the woman found herself in that abusive type relationship. And that, that was the only time that she had, unfortunately you know, she lost her life. That's why I'm saying that was ludicrous. But I was a child. I didn't know any better. And, you know, unfortunately, during the time that I was coming up, I'm 65 now. So, you know, we weren't, you, you didn't hear anything about abuse victims or coaches and counselors and all the help, you know, that's out there and available now to uh, women who are going through these kind of things. And what I've noticed, though, even with all of that, I mean, I, I, would, I, th I, I, tell myself things would have been a little better. I would have gotten the help that I needed back then if I knew it was available. But, you know, uh, that's not necessarily true because so many people, so many women, especially and men today are not doing that. You know, like you said, there's continuing to be silent. It causes uh, women and men to um, lose their voices, basically. Yes. Uh, and because of the shame and the guilt and they you know we tend to blame ourselves uh figure that something has to be wrong with us for that to happen to us you know we don't want to talk about it we try to bury it and instead of dealing with it i chose to go to drugs for 20 plus years instead you know trying to bury it but i'm here to tell you that that is not the answer you know because once the drugs were off any of those um uh, substance, substances that you try to use to uh, mask your pain or bury it, 
it doesn't work. You know, as soon as those things wear off the drugs or whatever, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're going through that you're that 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 caused you pain is staring you right back in the face again. You know, so um, I was blessed to have uh, once I made that decision. And like I said, and it was very scary, uh, even during the time when I was uh, dealing with the incest at 10 years old, my stepfather uh, carried a gun. And unfortunately, I was put in a position where he had to pick me up from school and take me home a lot of times. And he would have the gun between us and, you know, uh, constantly threatening me with the gun and threatening to harm or kill anyone, everyone that I love, all of my family, if I would say anything, was to share what was going on. And, um, you know, so from that time up until the time of the abuse, uh, when I just had enough and I was um, getting out of that situation, I realized that I had to be very, very careful because that's really the one of the worst times uh, in an abusive type situation when you decide that you want to leave, that you need to go. You know, at one point you're too afraid to, to leave. You're, you're too afraid to leave and that's why you stay. And then at some point it gets to be uh, where it's, it's, it's just so bad that you're, you're too afraid to, to stay any longer and you know it's time to go. And um, I was able to do that. I had to leave and go to a different state to do it, but it was worth it because at the same time he was uh, threatening all of my family, anyone that cared about me everywhere that I tried to go in the city uh, at the time where we lived, uh, he would show up and, you know, it'd be some type of altercation. Uh, we unfortunately worked at the same place, worked at GM together at the time, and they tried uh, to put us, you know, how huge uh, General Motors is. Uh, even that was not enough, that was not enough space. The city was not enough space, so uh, I actually ended up live, leaving the city for a couple of years, uh, about two or three years before I returned, trying to give you know put some space between us, giving him time to cool off, cool down, or whatever, and uh, you know before I end up re-entering uh, that city. Um, it sounds like and, you did whatever it took. I did. I took my, tried to take my family. I got my son and we left because before that we actually lived in a um, uh, battered women's shelter for six months prior to me leaving. So that was like my first kind of safe haven. haven. I left my home and that's where I was staying at for uh, six months after that last time when I was beaten so bad. I mean, I had a broke, broke toe foot you know, eyes I couldn't see, um, just different, you know, just really banged up pretty good from top to bottom, head to, from head to, uh, <laughs> head to wow. foot, head to foot, toe, literally. And, um, you know, he was, um, I believe schizophrenic, bipolar, whatever, and also uh, doing drugs himself, which I didn't realize that at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, um, it, yeah, and it's it's a control thing. Like you mentioned, the Very most dangerous so. part is when they realize you want to leave. They're ready to do anything they anything. have to to keep right. you. 
Right. And he was very methodical. I, I tell the story at times and people look at me like I'm crazy because normally when uh, I think when a woman finds herself in an abusive relationship, it starts off pretty soon, like pretty soon after you meet the person, you know, they show themselves, they start smacking you around or whatever. He didn't do that. We dated. It was lovey-dovey for a whole year, 365 days before he turned into this totally different animal. And I saw someone totally different that got physical. But if I be completely truthful, uh, there were signs. I just ignored them because yeah. I was young and didn't know any better. And I'm thinking, you know, surely this guy don't mean this. You know what I'm saying? Like um, his woman don't uh, go to a restaurant and eat by herself. You know, I worked at GM too. I am, had my own house. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm, I am in my, my late 20s. I'm used to, if I get hungry, I just go and eat and stop somewhere and eat. Surely this guy wasn't telling me that I couldn't do that anymore because we were together, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I ignored him, you know, his woman don't wear jeans that don't have pockets on the back, you know, things I never heard of before uh, because it show her bottom too much. She don't wear white because you can see through it. And I'm like, uh, you know, but then he, I end up coming home one day. I had this beautiful white jumpsuit uh, at the time and it had some little decoration in it. And I came home one day, one day, he had cut it all the pieces and was waxing my car with it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but you know, you're right. You are looking at this relationship with rose colored glasses. Right. You mm-hmm. want, you seeing what you want to see and you yes. don't always catch those subtle. And, and I, I understand too, you know, the man may apologize profusely. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. But in truth, it escalates. Right. The honeymoon stage. And mine was a textbook. So, you know, this had never happened to me. I had never uh, read anything or heard anything about abuse until I found myself in it. Right. But it was so funny when I was in the uh, women's battered shelter, they gave me a book to read. And uh, everything that happened, everything I went through was textbook. It's like the first time they hit you once and just one time. And they're really checking to see, you know, if you would take it, how far you would go. Like if you would forgive them or, you know, and I didn't realize what at the time what I should have done was try to smack the mess out of him. You know, like jump up and hit him back as hard as I could or something and tell him to get out. But no, you know, he started crying. He fell on his knees and started crying like a baby, begging me to forgive him. You know, he never did this before to anyone. He loved me so much, blah, blah, blah. It just went on and on and on. He heard me, but he's crying like a baby, right? Like I just hit him, smacked him upside the face. And so, you know, I, I forgave him. I, I, I didn't know any better. I forgave him. And, you know, he did good for a few months. You know, he's, you know, bringing me flowers you know, just cleaning and washing my car and cleaning up and just doing all these nice things. So lovey-dovey. And then the next thing, you know, you know, just out of nowhere for no reason, you know, there it goes again. And, um, you know, same thing though, you know, they just put it on a little harder, you know, go through the honeymoon stage is what they call it a little bit longer. So it would, that would last anywhere to two to three, four months before. So he was, it was very spaced out 
over this three year period. So the first year, nothing. And the next two years, he spaced out when he would get volatile and very physical. You know, otherwise it would just be the little subtle talking and things like that, like don't do this. And, you know, his girlfriend or wife or woman, don't do that, those kind of things, which I just really said I didn't pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. Like you, that sound yeah. ridiculous. Like you gotta be kidding. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you know, like you're gonna stop that. I know you're gonna cut that out. <laughs> if you had only read that book before you met him. I know, right? I would have known. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, you know, so the first time is one time they hit you. The second time is three times. And then the third time, I mean, they just go all out. It's just crazy. I mean, you could get hit a thousand times before they decide to stop. You know, and then I guess from that point on, I don't know because I, I, I made it through three times spaced out. And because I had that three times rule and I was with that person, yeah, yeah. it worked for me. I, like I said, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else, but it worked for me. I was gone. Yeah. And some abusive relationships end when the woman is killed. Usually, so you exactly. were fortunate. I was very fortunate. You were fortunate to get out. Yes. And and isn't I am glad that we are talking more openly about this. Yes. So, you know, you mentioned you were young, you hadn't had experience with this. Mm -hmm. So there is more education that is so valuable. Yes. And talk about the support you would that a woman who is realizing she's in an abusive relationship. What kind of support should she see? Do you? And I'm assuming you talk about that in your coaching, right? I do talk about that in my coaching. I do also uh, stress that you have to be very, very careful because what you don't want to do is let your perpetrator get wind that you're having those kind of thoughts, that you're thinking about leaving. Or, you know, because the whole thing is about isolation, uh, silencing you, uh, they usually, um, what he did, he went, my perpetrator, he went through uh, uh, a series of things to isolate me. For instance, uh, any so-called friend that I had, it was, it was always something wrong with them. You know, they didn't have good intentions toward me either. If it was a guy, of course, he wanted to talk to me. And if it was a girl, a female, she didn't mean me any good. If anything, she probably wanted him. You know, so they would come up with all these different things, even my family. So I talked to my mother too much. You know, I spent too much time with my sisters and brothers. You know what I mean? Any friend, mm -hmm. of course, they are, they are a bad person, someone that you shouldn't want in your life. So they isolate you to the point where it's just, it's just you and them. And um, so that makes it hard for, uh, most, for a woman to talk to anybody because they're telling her the whole time, nobody cares about you but me. I'm the only one who have your best interests at heart. Yeah, I'm taking care of you. I'm the only one to care anything about you. And you know, they make sure uh, you don't have too many other people reaching out trying to do anything to you uh, for a while because they already know that that's probably not gonna work um, because evidently somebody's in your ear telling you that that's a bad thing. So it makes it very hard for a woman to reach out. That's another one of their schemes to, to be able to continue to do what it is that they're doing to the woman or to the man because they've isolated them, first of all. They've cut them off from all their friends and family and they've just made it a situation where it's just 
the only person it's okay for her to talk to is him. You also touched on something that we don't always want to admit, but men can be abused too. Oh yeah, and it's even, it's probably even worse for them on some level than it is for women, being that they are men supposed to be strong and mm -hmm. you know tough and take care of everything and that kind of thing. And then to have a woman abusing them like that, beating them on a regular basis, degrading them, just castrating them with their voices, with their, with their mouth and whatever else, even being physical as well. So yeah, I can't imagine a man trying to, you know, I'm being abused by my wife or my girlfriend. You know, at least it's, it's more commonly known and understood. Yeah, of course a woman is being abused and beaten by her husband or her boyfriend. He's normally he's bigger, you know, weighs more and he's obviously stronger or should be uh, or is for the most part. But, you know, it's still, um, and I, I, you know, I've talked to a few men and they go like, so you don't uh, do anything to help uh, men as well. And I would tell them, you know, this is so broad. I, I felt like I had to choose. I'm a woman. So I chose yeah. to, to specifically concentrate on helping women. But if I learn of, know of men coaches who are also, you know, working with men, I try to turn them on to those guys and things like that. And then there are a lot of general information that they can get from listening to uh, women coaches talking to other women as well that they also need to incorporate. Like the safety thing is really, really key. You want to be safe. So you want to um, try to reach out to someone very carefully or, you know, at least uh, learn their stuff. But you have to be very strategic. And, you know, I had to be very uh, strategic about it. Uh, it's going to take a little time. It's probably not going to be something you can do overnight. So you're going to have to try to pace yourself and then come up with a plan. Uh, if there's anyone that you trust that haven't been uh, maybe just so turned off by the fact that you maybe shut down communication with them for a while, you know, if you can get to them while they're at work or whatever, you know, or something like that. And um, talk to them, share with them what's going on with you, you know, something like that, or get in touch with an authority. And there now there is an 800 number. Uh, that people can call, that people can, uh, you know, they have all that as far as I know they didn't have all this when I was going through it, you know, back in the, the 70s and the 80s. But yeah. now, you know, they have all kinds of resources. So it's a lot easier. You, of course, of course, COVID-19 really helped the situation very much. Yes. With everybody being stranded in their homes, you know, not able to go outside or talk to anybody. Domestic or, abuse went up. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, that. So, of course, that went up, you know, big time. I, so, my heart just went out to all the people and, you know, just uh, put me in a position to start praying more about that situation because I know that that had to be uh, just really. Um, you mentioned just, a, you know, a shelter for battered women that at, mm -hmm. at one point you went there. I did. I, um, at the point where I was beaten to a pope and, and he had a gun as well, had my gun to my head. I was blessed that he, you know, just stopped and, but he took the gun with him. Uh, he had a key to my house. So I didn't know if he was gonna come back and try to finish the job, you know, because he made a lot of threats. So I felt like, you know, as soon as I realized he had left and wasn't there, 
that I needed to call someone and try to get out of there. And so I, I um, knew about, I did know about at the time that they did have a shelter for battered women by, by the time I'm, I was in my late twenties yeah. and going through this. So I called that number and they told me to just come right on in and told me what to do. And I did what they said and got there and I was there for the next six months. And after probably a couple of weeks, I end up bringing my kid there to stay there with me, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that, that was, you know, they didn't really, uh, they didn't tell me what to do, but they, you know, of course, gave me the options and, you know, explained to me how abuse works. And like I said, they gave me that book and it was like I was reading my own story. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, like really? Like I just went through all of that, everything that is said, that's exactly uh -huh. what... Yeah. To me. Wow. Yeah, wow. I know. So it's like hey, unbelievable. So you wrote Butterfly Uprising as a book to help women. You also provide, I'm assuming, private coaching. I do. I do private coaching as well as group coaching. Yes. Yeah, the reason that I wrote the book is because uh, at the same time, as tumultuous as my life has been, <laughs> I've also been one of these people that uh, people have always gravitated to me, strangers, and, you know, always telling me their problems was happening with them. And at least, I'm going to say 75, 80% of it was abuse, some type of abuse, uh, either incest, uh, you know, drug addiction, suicide, you know, uh, suicidal. Uh, and But it was stemmed from the fact that they were abused. And um, I realized, you know, for the longest, I, I couldn't figure out why all these strangers were always coming to me, uh, telling me their story. And a lot of times they would tell me that they never shared that with anyone else but me, a stranger that, you know, and I didn't ask them, they just started sharing, right? And so at the time, what I would do is to make them feel better and make them feel like they were not alone is I would share my own story, things that I had gone through and overcome. And so for the longest, they, these people that I mentored and talked to for years who were sharing their story with me were the only ones who knew my story. Mm -hmm. And eventually I realized, you know, well, maybe I should tell my story, you know, let people know, because uh, I felt like I was helping people, you know, they were saying stuff like they felt better after talking to me and they decided they didn't want to kill themselves anymore. And, you know, that kind of thing. So I was having a lot of success just sharing my story, being open and vulnerable with all of these strangers like they were being with me. And it seemed to give them some peace, uh, comfort, and, you know, make them change their minds or take on a little different perspective about what they were going through. And by the time this, uh, at some point when this started happening, I had been in the church. So I had had the spiritual awakening, had learned the word and realized a lot more things about myself and my own um, experiences the things that I had gone through that God does not waste any of our experiences. And I realized that he had been with me the whole time, even as a child, he didn't make those things happen. He allowed them to happen. He knew that uh, at some point I would be here today sharing my story. I would write the book and I would be trying to help other women to overcome those same adversities that I have gone through and overcome myself. And so I decided to go on and write the book and um, because I wanted to make more of an impact on people's lives, uh, particularly women. 
and let them know, like I said, that uh, I'm a safe place, no judgment, um, that they can share. Uh, if I did it, they can do it. Uh, the things that God has done for me, he's no respecter of person. If he did it for me, he would do it for them as well. And uh, so I just wanted them to know that I was hoping that it would give them comfort. So the book, Butterfly Uprising, is, is about the metamorphosis of one woman's life's journey through interlocking stories of incest, drug addiction, and domestic violence. It was creatively written to correlate with the developmental stages of the butterfly through the maturation of Alexander Scott, who is my character in the book. So it's, it's uh, funny, it's triumphant, uh, it's also faith-based, and ultimately it speaks about our inner ability, no matter what it is that we go through, to prevail through God's undeniable grace. Because I realized it's God's grace that got me through all the things that I was able to overcome, uh, all the adversity, um, all those years of depression and feeling unwanted, unloved, and alone and afraid and all those kind of things and um, just not loving myself and treating myself the best. So I um, ended up writing a book and I realized too that I had been mentoring and coaching women for 20 plus years out of the goodness of my heart, taking women into my home. I've taken a couple of women into my home, one of them with babies. <laughs> you know, I was blessed to have a husband at the time who obviously just saw that that was a ministry that God had gave me, something he put on my heart to do. And so I didn't get any flack from him. He just opened a home up to these women who needed my help. And, you know, I just kind of nurtured them um, to a place of, of, of help, you know, where they could at least see light at the end of the tunnel and realize that they were not damaged goods, uh, that they had purpose, uh, that they had a testimony and that, the things that they went through just like me, it was for somebody else, somebody that they supposed to help. They are supposed to do the same thing like I'm doing, share their story at some point once they heal to that point where they can do it and not fall apart, then they could share their story, let somebody else know. Uh, because I won't be able to reach everybody, you know? And there's certain people who uh, won't receive from me, but they would receive from them. So I realized that I'm supposed to help a certain group of people uh, I'm the perfect person to help those people. And I realize all of us have a duty. We all have a story like their story uh, may not be the same as mine. They may not know what it feels like to uh, lose your innocence at 10 years old or to find yourself, uh, you know, single parent and divorced in your early 20s or find yourself uh, being a drug addict, addicted to drugs for 20 plus years or in an abusive relationship with your gun put to your head. But we all have a story still, you know? So, and there's a lot of the things that, you know, people can go through or can happen to us that can cause us to be stuck, you know, and not moving forward, not growing, not changing, not evolving uh, and not healthy and not happy and living uh, a life to the fullest or being, being the best version of ourselves. So my coaching program is to, I, I help women to change their lives from head to toe, inside and out, by letting go of their fears and their past using simple techniques that have powerful results uh, so that uh, you can break free from your self-critical thinking, control your thoughts and feelings, master your emotions, achieve your ideal body, 
uh, build lasting, healthy relationships and find the confidence to reach your highest potential, design the breathtaking life of your dreams and to maximize all of your life experiences to become unstoppable. And that's the journey that I believe that I'm on. And that's why I created the Unstoppable Women Network Group uh, to uh, provide information for them to be able to do the same thing. Um, because we, we're all a combination of everything that we've gone through everything that we've overcome, good and bad. Um, the uh, foundational scripture for my life and for my business is Romans 8.28. I really truly believe that, uh, is that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ. So I believe all of the things, the good things, the bad things, everything that has happened to me has brought me, uh, helped me, helped to shape me into the woman that I am today and having a heart that I have wanting to serve and do the things that I'm doing today. And so I feel like all of us have had that on some level and we all have a divine purpose as well with the things that God has entrusted with us, the information that he's entrusted with us, the things he's allowed us to achieve, the adversity, the um, pain he's allowed us to overcome, get over, and how we were able to do that, uh, I believe that we're supposed to share it. Anything good, we're supposed to share it with other people. And so that's what I'm doing. Well, I just listening to you, Anne, I can, I can hear this feeling that this is your ministry, that this is what God has called you to do, and how, how large your heart must be, how caring and compassionate to want to serve others, teach them to reach out to others and to share rather than the misery and pain you went through to share the hope, the light of truth and a better way. And right. this, this world really needs people like you, Anne. And like you said, we've just been through a pandemic where domestic mm -hmm. violence spiked. I'm sure we have a lot more damaged souls oh, oh that need this, this help, this nourishing. So how do people contact you? Sure. Thank you. So yeah, I can be reached at butterflyuprising.com is my website. And I'll also give my email address because hey, you know, reach out to me, coach.annanderson at gmail.com. It's coach dot ann anderson at gmail.com and then of course uh, my book you can find it at amazon.com and then I'm, I'm also on facebook instagram twitter linkedin all those uh social uh, uh, platforms as well and we'll have all the links on my podcast post okay and thank you so much you are going to bless so many lives Thank you so much, Emily. I really appreciate you for allowing me to speak. And I really do uh, pray that I was able to say something to um, help someone out there who's listening. Uh, know that uh, I understand fear is a real thing, but we know what it stands for, what false evidence appearing to be real. So I do understand that whether it's uh, real or imagined, 
you know, it can paralyze people and cause them to be stuck and not move. But I want you to know, like uh, one of my mentors always says to me, and something that she says all the time, Lisa Nichols, is that the pen is always in your hand. And so you have the ability to create the reality that you want. You can design your life just the way you want it to be uh, because you deserve that. You deserve that breathtaking life. Uh, it's your birthright. And so I'm hoping uh, um, that by me sharing my story with you, that it would inspire you uh, give you the confidence to not continue to live in fear, allow fear to hold you hostage to your pain, your story, anything that you've gone through or uh, dealing with, possibly in silence. Uh, please let somebody know, know that there's someone out there who cares, who wants you to share your story with them or help you to get your story out there so you can share it with others so you can be a blessing and help others while you bless yourself as well. Beautiful words. And thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. You do the same. We have just concluded another episode of In Support of Families. If you enjoyed the show and found it valuable, we appreciate you leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. For more helpful resources, visit our website at insupportoffamilies.com. Join us again next week. And thanks for listening.